The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. I'd ask you if you would this morning take your Bibles and look to Psalm chapter 90. While we're on this trip, we're away there. Um, you could tell that they, they work hard. The folks really do work hard, except for the girls who are doing the, the hammering there. Um, that was, they did a great job as well. But there's hard work that's involved there. It's great to give up yourself for the Vacation Bible Clubs there. But at the end, we always get together, and we, we, we sort of have a challenge during the week for one another. It's a time that we reflect on what's going on at the Bible Clubs and what God is doing. It, we're without distractions. One of the great things about this trip is that you are separated from, from everything that you're accustomed to. And it gives you time to think and reflect. And so we take time every night, usually every night or in the morning, around the Word of God. And let me share with you just this evening uh, a couple thoughts from the scripture that we used that week. Psalm chapter 90, um, verse number 1. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains ever brought forth or ever thou hast made or formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God, thou turnest men to destruction, and say, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but yesterday when it's past, and as a watch in the night, thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as a sleep in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger. And by thy wrath we are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So, teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O, satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. This is Psalm 90. This is a psalm by Moses, we are told, which makes this the oldest psalm in the Bible. And the psalm is actually a prayer. It's a prayer. Uh, It's divided neatly into two parts. The first is Moses um, reflecting and meditating uh, on truth. And it's real easy. There are only two truths. He's He's thinking about the nature of God and the nature of man. And then the second section is verses 12 through 17. After the reflection, after the meditation, he he then burst out in prayer. And and, and the idea is this. In light of what I've just thought about, in light of that truth, what should my life then be like? And so this morning, in just the next few moments that we have, 
I would like just to share those thoughts with you and uh, sort of wrap up this, this morning in light of what we've just seen with the baptismal service, uh, the video presentation, and what we find in this chapter, and then bring that all together. The first thing that, that Moses thinks about is the nature of God. He says in verse number one, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place. Uh, when I ask you this morning, where's your dwelling place, what do you think of? Your home, right? Unless you've been in trouble with your wife, then it's a doghouse, okay? But it's a home. It's our dwelling place. And no matter how often we have moved or changed addresses, we understand that our dwelling place is our home. It is fixed. It is permanent in our eyes. It's, it's a place where we stay. And Moses says, God, you have been our dwelling place. You have been our home. You have been our permanence. Which for nomadic people who lived in tents and wandered around, this was a huge deal. But he adds a caveat to this. He says, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And for Moses, that would have meant Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 400 years of captivity, or Israel and Egypt, the wandering of 40 years in the wilderness, the coming to the promised land, and all generations continues. The idea is there is that after Moses is gone, God, you will still be our dwelling place in all generations. And the idea is this. We will come and go, but God is permanent. God is fixed. There's a, a song that we hear often on the radio, and it says, the only certainty is uncertainty. And we know that to be true. In our lives, the things that we think are certain oftentimes disappoint us. And the point with Moses, what he's saying as he reflects on who God is, is this. As uncertain as our life is and our dwelling, Lord, you have been our permanence. You are a fixed location. We dwell in you. Whether it's Moses or David or Peter or us, he is our dwelling place. He is our dwelling place. And then he says this, how can that be? He goes on in verse 2 and says, From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. I don't know how you think about forever or eternity. But when I start to think of eternity, it's as if I've got to take some duct tape around my head because my brain wants to explode. And the phrase there, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, literally means from vanishing point to vanishing point, you are God. And so this morning, if we could just try to think of eternity past, before the world was formed, if we could put years on that. Let's start with a billion. Until we racked the capacity of our brain, until that thought vanished, God is there. And then to think of eternity future. And we, I think you know this morning, we are not just bodies that have a soul. We are souls, living souls that have a body. And we had a beginning, but we will not have an end. And as my mind begins to think past this life, forever 
and ever and ever and ever. To the vanishing point, to the place where I can't even conceive how that could be, Moses says, God, you are eternal, and wherever that vanishing point is at, you are the great I am. You are there. You are there. And so he talks about the eternality of God. And when we begin to try to scratch the surface of that, we have a small inkling of this God that is revealed in the Bible. He is eternal. It would do us well if we had the time this morning just to sit back and think about forever. Because we don't. And we should. Because as Moses' generation has passed, ours will pass too. And the one thing that is eternal and lasting and static and fixed and permanent is the eternal God of the Bible. And so Moses is reflecting. And then in his reflection of this truth, he then turns from God to humanity. Look what he says about human beings now. God is infinite and eternal, but we are finite and ending. He starts in verse 3. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, return, ye children of men. And the idea of return is, return from where you came from, which is dust. I was talking with my family the other day. I am, um, I am 47 years old. Don't... I know, you, you, th- you thought I looked like 70, but I'm only 47 years old. Um, and I've been, I've been in ministry for a long time, and I have done in my life more funerals than I would have ever imagined. My first started at 15 years old. I did my uncle's funeral, who took his own life. And I've been involved enough, and so have you, to understand we're all marching toward the grave. And as Moses is thinking about the eternality of God, he thinks about his own existence and knows this doesn't last forever. He goes on to say um, that we can't comprehend a thousand years, but for God, they're like a passing moment. It's, It's like a guard watch in the night, like guard duty, Michael. It's just over like that. It's done. He then goes on to say we are like grass that grows up. And then it's mowed down, it blossoms, it withers. He continues to tell us we're like a story that is told. And and some places translate that like a sigh. We are like a sigh, like, ah. And then it's over. It's over. And then at verse number 10, he says, in reflection of mankind, the days of our years are threescore years and ten. That's seventy. If you're fortunate, you live to 70. If you're blessed, you go to 80. Now, if you're 80, that means you stole years from somebody else, okay? That means you took 10 or 13 years from somebody else, right? That's all we're promised. But the idea is, no matter how long it is, he says, this life is filled with trouble and work. We are cut off, and we fly away. There's some gospel music that I cannot stand, Southern gospel music, I can't stand. But this truth, I'll fly away, is biblical. I give it to you. 
I'll fly away. Because Moses says, God, you're eternal. You are infinite. You are everlasting. We are finite. And we are ending. And if I could this morning, with all that we've experienced, the truth that I would want you to understand is this. As we reflect this morning, the God of heaven is eternal. He, he doesn't grow old. He doesn't change. He is the great I am. And we are passing away. And so often in our lives, the things that we think are of the utmost importance, the, the things that we're holding on to, the things we strive for, the things we work for, so what, 80 years? 90 years? 100 years? We will be cut off and fly away. And this is Moses' reflection. He's been thinking about this. Now look what happens in light of this. And this is where many of us stop. We will think these thoughts, or we'll be challenged to think these thoughts, and what will happen is we'll think about them until we walk out the doors, and then we turn our radios on, we turn the TV on, watch the game, go have dinner, and we're done. Not for Moses. Look what he says in verse number 12. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Moses says, in light of this truth that you are eternal, in light of the truth that this life is passing away, teach us to number, to account for our days. Why? Because there's a wise way to live and there's an unwise way to live. And So Moses says, in light of this, Lord, teach us now how we ought to live. And I submit to you this morning, because of this truth, there is a way that all of us should live. The first is this. We ought to live loving and knowing this eternal God. The greatest knowledge that you can have does not come from a textbook or a degree. The greatest knowledge or experience, the greatest knowledge you can have is this, to know the true and living God and his will. If he's eternal, if he is the only thing that will last beyond all of this, then the greatest knowledge is to know him. And here's a paradox. How do I know this eternal, almighty, all-powerful, the great I am? How can I know him? It's a good question. And he would be unknowable had he not revealed himself to us. And he has. Creation shouts it out. Creation shouts out the glories of this God. But in these last days, he has revealed himself in a much more powerful way. He has revealed himself through the Son, Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you want to know what God is like, we see him. Can you imagine the humility for the God of heaven to be held by hands he created? The humility of this eternal God. And not only that, to live a life, to walk our sod, to breathe our air, to be mocked, ridiculed, misunderstood, to be despised, rejected, and that was by his friends, and then to be nailed to a cross that he gave his life for you, that, um, that the God-man died not for his sins, but for yours. This is our great God, and he can be known 
through the person of Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you want to please the eternal God, you must know the Son. You must repent and believe on him. The greatest knowledge is to know and love the Son. Do not die without knowing Christ. And for some of you, you will end this year and you will be lost. Lost. It's a terrible thought. As children, I remember my brothers were always, my, my second brother always lost. It was so bad that my mom had to dress him like the other two brothers. So that when he was lost in the story, he's like, well, he looks like these two. Just a smaller version. Always lost. And you remember that sinking feeling within as a child, knowing, or as an adult, as a husband, saying, I got it. I don't need directions. Like, are you sure? It's like, I got this. And two hours later, it's like, man, I'm lost. I'm lost. It's sick. But can you imagine the despair of being eternally lost? And if you think this morning you get brownie points because you hear the gospel every week, you don't. You will give an account for hearing the truth of the gospel. You must love and know the Lord. And this morning, I beg you, if you're not saved, come to Christ, repent, believe. And if you are saved, can we not fall in love with him again as we think about this whole, the whole story, the magnitude of what he's done for us? Love him and know him. But listen, that's not all. We then are to labor for him. If he is eternal, and all that's going to last is, 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 is what is important to him, what, what is our God doing? And, and the psalmist uh, Moses makes it very clear. He understands what God is doing. He talks about knowing him by loving him and seeing his mercy. But then he talks in verse number 16 about his work. Let thy work appear unto thy servants. Listen to me. Right now, in your life, it has been said, God is doing 10,000 things, and you only see three of them. But bigger than that, our God is at work. And from Genesis to Revelation, his work is the redemption of fallen mankind. Not only does he redeem them, but he remakes them. He is readying a kingdom. That is his work. And so if I love him and know him, the greatest knowledge is loving God and knowing his will. The greatest action then can only be doing his will. Doing his will. And so, if God's glory and God's work is the redemption of men and women, the remaking of them and readying a kingdom, then we as his children ought to be a part of that work. It's the only thing that's going to last. Listen to me. I'm not, some of you folks are sitting here thinking, okay, here it comes. This is the old Baptist thing. Do, 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 do. No, it's not. It's being privileged to be a part of what God is doing because that's the only thing that will last. Last. What are we doing? We're going to end this year. I hope you reflect. What have you and I done this year for the kingdom of Christ? What have we done for the redemption of fallen humanity? What have we done in the, in the remaking of ourselves looking to Scripture and the Spirit? What are we doing to ready a kingdom? And Moses says, let us be aware of your work, but Lord, let us be involved in your work. Verse 17, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Now quickly, in closing, listen to me. 
I'm not talking this morning about being a pastor. I'm not talking about going on a mission trip. I'm talking about this. If you know Christ as your Savior, then what are we planning to do for his kingdom that will be eternal? So I just, I'm, just a, I'm just a parent. I'm just a grandparent. I'm not on a platform. I'm not preaching. I'm not going on a mission trip. Can I tell you something? Listen to me. As a parent... Are you directing your children to the eternal God? Are you living out your life in front of them? Are you showing them that your faith that you talk about, about the eternal God, is real? As they look at us, do they know what's important to us, what we're living for? And what are we living for? To what end? To what end? Are you living for money? Is is that what it is? And and listen, nothing wrong with money, nothing wrong with stuff, but, but to what end? Because you have more? Because you feel better? Because it does something for you? Listen, it will all be gone. Gone. Hey, single parent, parents at home, what are, you, are you directing your children to the glories of Christ? Are you directing their hearts toward the gospel? Do you understand that they are living souls that will spend eternity in one of two places? Are you directing them? At the place of work, where you work, on the line, in the shop, in the office, is your life such that when people see you, not that you're perfect, we get that, we know that, we fall, we fail, but the tenor of your life is, there's something different about that guy, They're, they're men and women of integrity, they actually do their job, go figure They work when the boss is not around. They're not constantly complaining. It's as if they're satisfied and there's something different about them. There's a spirit about them. There's something going on. To your neighbors, our family members, what are we doing for the cause of Christ? What are we doing in our own lives? To be remade into his image. Do you remember talking the other day, and she's, I think, in Romans chapter 12 and Colossians chapter 3, and we just had this thought. If we would take that one chapter from 12 or from 3 in Colossians, and this year, just try by God's grace to read it, to meditate on it, and then to allow it to transform our hearts and lives, we would be changed. Changed. For too many of us, we think that we're eternal. We think that we're just going to live forever. And I'm telling you this morning, only God is eternal. We are passing, but what we do can last for eternity. And as we're transformed into the image of Christ by his word and his spirit, make a difference for eternity. It's not for our glory. It's not for us. It is for his glory because his glory will last. Count Zenendorf, uh, who is um, associated with the Moravian movement, um, was a count that gave almost everything away. He saw the needs of humanity, and they evangelized tons and tons of places, uh, slave colonies and, and other things. But his quote was this. This was his life model. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. He had an understanding what this life was all about. Can I tell you something? A hundred years from now, almost all of us will be forgotten. You like to think that your great-grandkids will know you. They might see a picture. But there's coming a time if the Lord tarries is coming. 
None of your family will know you. And so, let us preach the gospel by our words and our lives. Let us proclaim his glory. Let us understand that only in the eternal, in his work, can we find comfort. And let us go on to please him so that the next generation can know there were believers who knew Christ, who loved Christ, and were busy at his work. So, my friend, what are you doing? What are we doing? Will we come to this spot next year and think to ourselves, ah, here I am again. I've not been transformed in the image of Christ. I've been lazy in this area. This is a mess here. I blew opportunities here. I could have done this there for his glory. Ah, I blew it again. Or will we finally wake up and say, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I'm as a tale that's told. (sighs) And all that will last is your glory. And so, Lord, in your grace, use this redeemed life for your glory. My friend, if we'll do that, can I tell you something? God will be glorified. We will find true satisfaction in his work and his labor. And we will see changes, not only in our lives, but of every individual that we touch. Because he is eternal. And we are not. Let's have a word of prayer.